Welcome to episode 6 of the Helpside Basketball Coaching Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, John Jansen, and I apologize. I'm about a week late, week and a half late on this podcast. I was really busy last week, and I just didn't have a chance to uh, get in there and, and, and get this podcast done, so I apologize for that. Uh, I know all 12 of you guys were uh, waiting patiently for it, but uh, here we are now. So... I thought about just kind of talking about the NBA Finals, but that ended a while back, and so it's not really relevant. So I'll keep it short with the uh, NBA Finals recap, and we'll talk about some more stuff that's more uh, relevant right now. In the analytics section, we are going to break down the rant by Dan D'Antoni, brother of Mike D'Antoni, and what I think about what he said, and I know it was a couple years ago, but it was very interesting and just it kind of opened people's eyes up to where analytics was and is, you know, to some people. And then in the strategy session, we're going to talk about uh, coming off a rub screen, but a rub screen when the player has the ball. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit when we get there. So um, first, let's just talk about kind of the NBA and what's going on right now in basketball. I don't want to talk too much about the NBA finals because it's just going to make me mad. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was, I pretty much knew what was going to happen. I I picked four or five and it ended up being four. The disappointing thing was game one. And like I said, I don't want to get too much into it, but the block charge reversal changed the course of the series. And, and unfortunately people care now how many games you lose in. I, I didn't think that that meant that they could win the series, but if they don't change that block charge call, okay? Because everyone wants to harp on J.R. Smith and not knowing the situation and whatnot, and that's fine. You can do that. But the fact of the matter is they don't change that block charge call. Cleveland has the ball up to with – it was either 34 or 36 or 34 or 40 seconds left. So they can run that clock down to 15 seconds, 20 seconds – with a two-point lead, so if they score, it's over. And instead, Durant makes two free throws, and now it's a tie game with still 40 seconds or 34, giving basically, you know, one possession per team, and, you know, most likely the last possession going to Golden State. So it changed everything. I hate it. I, you know, it's so funny. I was I was watching in a public place, and... Uh, some guy at the table next to me was like, oh, they're going to change the call, they're going to change the call. And, and I'm just like, yeah, okay. And he wasn't really a basketball guy. He just saw them reviewing it, and he didn't understand why they were reviewing it. And I couldn't help myself. And I went over to him, because he was just on the next table, and I said, no, they're not, because he was with a bunch of buddies, and they were all like Cleveland fans. They were like, oh, and they're just arguing. And I said, hey, they they can't review it to change it. They can only review it to determine if he was outside the circle and he clearly was because we'd already seen 100 replays and and all of them were so excited even the guy who said they were going to change it was excited because he didn't know the rule he was just saw them reviewing it he didn't understand and I was so confident because I'd never heard of this before and you know of course a couple people have now said they've had it's happened even Durant said it happened to him 
but I think in the NBA Finals, you just can't do that. I, I, I don't care. I think it's marginal. I think you could make a case that it was a block, but to change a call with under a minute to go in the NBA Finals is, is to me, a joke. And it ruined just an utterly brilliant game by LeBron, 51-8-8. And, you know, that game is going to go down as, you know, they talk about the highest scoring games in NBA Finals history. He's the only one who's lost when he had one. And it's just like, the matchup wasn't even fair. He carried this team in every possible respect. He won the game. He took the charge of all people. And then they take it away from him. And you knew when it went to overtime, it was, there's no prayer. I mean, it just, and it ruined everything because they go up 1-0. Okay, let's say, let's just go in this alternate universe where they're up 1-0. Golden State comes out and just boat races them in game two and it's 1-1. And I firmly believe in my heart that they could have taken one at home because it's 1-1. You're in a series. You've won on Golden State's floor. You believe now that you can win this. So you're going to come home and you're going to play and you're going to try to take one of these home games. And like I said, I still believe they would have lost the series. But if they go back 2-2 to Golden State, having already won there once, that is anybody's series. And again, I think Golden State would win it 98 out of 100 times, or 95 out of 100 times, or even 90 out of 100 times. But there's a chance, because they only have to win one more on Golden State's floor, and they've already proven they can do that with LeBron. And and the way he was just dragging that team across the finish line, game after game, series after series, you never know. And it would have just been a lot more fun because I I really believe it would have gone back 2-2 and we would have had, you know, what would have been great is we would have had three more games, possibly, at least two more games. And on top of that, you know, game four was a joke. So we really only had three games because game four was never competitive. So it just kind of took away the fun of the series, and it took away, you know, LeBron getting his due pay for just an amazing game one. I mean, just utterly incredible. And I don't care if you're a LeBron hater. I don't care if you're a Golden State fan. You must sit back and just go wow to everything that LeBron did in that game and everything LeBron did throughout the playoffs this year. And I still have people sitting there telling me that that shot he made against Toronto was an easy shot, falling away at the buzzer bank shot from the wrong side of the basket. I mean, you've got to be kidding me with some people. It's so funny because I'll, I'll be out someplace and I consider myself a pretty knowledgeable basketball guy and you just have these sheep just making just dumb NBA comments all the time and I just have to just just put my head down and walk away because I just can't get into an argument with people who don't understand basketball and who you're never going to change their mind anyway. And uh, it's it's tough sometimes. And I'm sure everyone out there has experienced it who knows basketball where you have somebody going, oh, yeah, Kobe's still better than both of them. And it's just like, all right, bud, okay. I'm just going to put my head down and walk away before you pull me into this argument. Speaking of that, it's so ridiculous, and I wasn't even meaning to transition to this. It's so ridiculous as Kobe and Shaq and all these guys trying to weigh in on LeBron and telling LeBron what he should and shouldn't do and, and how Kobe says, you know, how Kobe wants to now only put rings when he when he subtweets at LeBron. I got five. Jordan's got six. It's always back to him, and, and he just wants to put himself above LeBron, and it's just so ridiculous. And once again, I'll say it now, and I'll probably say it a thousand more times. If you want to put rings into your conversation about who the best players are, then don't talk to me about basketball, because behind Bill Russell and that uh, old Boston team, 
you have Robert Ori second in line. So if you want to talk about rings, then don't talk to me. Because Mark Madsen's got two of them, and Charles Barkley has zero. So don't talk to me about it, okay? And it's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and I've gone over a million times why it is. So if you want to talk about rings as one of your top reasons why a player is the best of all time or isn't or where he ranks, then don't talk to me. Rings is number six or seven on my list. And if you can find my blog, you can find what's way more important. I just thought it was very childish of Kobe to jump in and say that say things. And then Shaq saying to LeBron, don't chase rings. I did and I shouldn't have. But you know what? Shaq was on teams that were good. You don't need to chase a ring. You know, like he chased a ring late in his career when he wasn't effective anymore. But guess what? LeBron will never win another championship playing in Cleveland for the rest of his career. So if he's happy with three, then he should stay there. But guess what? He's not. So he has to leave because that team is atrocious. And I don't want to get too much into, I'm going to save where I think LeBron's going to go and what he should do for another podcast when it gets closer to free agency or once free agency starts. Uh, But I'm now... Having thought about it more, I'm more open to more teams. And the reason I say that is this. If he took he took Cleveland to the NBA Finals with this trash team, and they're old and they're terrible. And you say, well, let's I'm just gonna pick a team that's really bad. I'm gonna pick the Knicks. So if he goes to the Knicks, they have Porzingis and Cantor and maybe some other guys. I think maybe Hardaway's there, but he's not very good. But they have basically Porzingis. LeBron goes there, and let's say it's Paul George, or let's say it's Chris Paul who can opt out and go there. All of a sudden, they have a real big three with LeBron, player X number two, and Porzingis as a two plus. And that makes those other role players way better. So if he, and I don't think Paul George is the guy. I think it's more a, a Chris Paul type, you know, like getting a guard. But if you take LeBron and this another, you know, high-level star, all of a sudden you have this big three that he wasn't even close to having in Cleveland this year. And maybe the other players on the team are terrible, but guess what? All the players in Cleveland are terrible anyway. I mean, Jordan Clarkson was an embarrassment to basketball in the NBA Finals. He looked like he was like this kid that came off the bench and just, it was just so awkward and nervous, and it was unbelievable because for as kind of selfish as I think he is, he always was able to score, and he just looked like a, he just looked like he didn't belong in the NBA Finals. So as bad as players on the Knicks are, they're not worse than those guys. You know, if anything, they're the same. And then you bring in, you know, you have Porzingis and this other player. Now you've got more than just, you know, LeBron and Kevin Love. You have way better than that. So... I'm open now to him going to more teams, especially in the East, because I think if he can get one more player to come with him, along with a good one player and maybe a second, like, Cantor-type player, then you got something there, and you have enough to be just as good as Cleveland was last year. And so we'll get into that more down the line, but I just wanted to touch on that. So talking about the news that's been happening um, recently First thing I want to talk about is uh, is Kawhi and how he wants out of San Antonio. And it's just interesting because he was doing so well there. They won the championship. He was the MVP of the finals. He was considered a top five player. 
And a lot of it you would think had to do with system and maybe it was part and maybe it was, you know, him working hard on his game, which I'm sure was a combination of both. But now he wants out and I've heard that there might be this misdiagnosis that came out where they told him he could play even though he didn't think he could and he's really upset with the organization because of that. And if that's the case, then I kind of understand how he feels because that's messed up. You know, if he knows he's not right and they're telling him he is just to get him back on the court, then that's not good. So let's pretend that he really wants out. Okay. Where should he go? And I think there's a couple scenarios that would work. And I believe he has one year left on his deal. And I, so when I say these couple of ideas, I, I consider a sign and trade because you're not going to get as much if you have him for one year and then he's on the free market. So, for instance, let's say that he's willing to do a sign and trade. Like if he if he approves the team that they're going to trade him to, then he'll he'll sign an extension. So let's say that LeBron wants to go to LA. And let's say that they're that he's willing to do a sign and trade with LA. So who should LA get? I mean, who should LA give up? They already said they're not giving up Kuzma. So I think the natural choice would be Lonzo Ball. Now the question is, is does San Antonio think they deserve more than just Lonzo Ball for for Kawhi? And the easy answer is yes, because he's a top five player in the league. But they're going to lose him in one year anyway. Let's pretend they can't get a trade done. And let's say he sits out this year or he kind of plays and whatever, but he's got a foot out the door. They're going to get nothing for him. And... If they can get Lonzo, which is an up-and-coming guard, and obviously Popovich has done really well with guards, then that's something. I actually think that the best play for San Antonio would be to trade off all of their assets and and build young, because I think Pop is such a good coach that he can make them better right away. Because you've seen it with these young guys that they have now who are have gotten really good really fast, and that's how they you know were relevant this year. But you know, if, I mean, Aldridge still has some value, and I know he was pretty good in the playoffs for them, but he, you know, Pop doesn't really like his game. He's kind of a little soft. He doesn't rebound well, and I think they can get a couple young guys or maybe a pick for him, you know, a guy and a pick, and then if you can get rid of Gasol because he has a name, because Gasol is just terrible, and Pop hates him because he's so soft, and he doesn't do anything. So if you can even just get you know, a first round pick for him or a f- early second or, you know, a, just a good role player. I'd be willing to do that. And then you, and then you trade off Kawhi and you get, you know, one of these really good players. I think you've got something there, you know, now you've got this new young team instead of having this team with a few young guys, but some of these old guys who demand time and, and want the ball and just aren't good enough anymore. And then I have a crazy idea. If, the person was willing to to sign do a sign and trade lebron for Kawhi. and you know i've said that lebron has never played for a good coach and i think that playing for pop would be awesome for him you know it would be a great a great chance for him to play for a good coach and maybe not have to do so much and maybe not just be one-on-one LeBron because he'll have someone who can a coach who can run an offense that that will be effective and take some pressure off him to just bring the ball up and do everything on every single possession and also and this could be a big one and I wish I could you know I wish well I think LeBron's listening but just in case he missed this episode because he's on vacation Pop will bring his minutes down 
and maybe he'll lose some points per game and he'll lose some stat categories, but he'll last longer. You, he just can't play this many minutes, and I hate Ty Lue for playing him every second of every game. It's just so, it's such a rookie move because he wants to keep his job so bad. He's scared of losing his job, so the only way to keep your job is try to win every game, and I've said this before, and how do you do that? You have your best player, LeBron James, on the floor all the time. And it's to me, it's it's just, it's selfish. It's not thinking about his players. It's not thinking about his team. It's thinking about his own job. Because what does Ty Lue do? If, if Ty Lue gets fired, having LeBron James, who's going to hire him? Not as a head coach. I'll tell you that right now. He might get a lot of assistant jobs, but he's not going to be a head coach. So... He's selfishly overusing LeBron for his own benefit, and I hate it. I really hate it. So you go on with Pop, and you have those games you sit out. Pop will take your minutes down. Pop loves developing the young guys and, and getting them out there so much that, that they can win games. You know, you, we, saw, we used to see those games all the time where you'd sit out, you know, Parker, Ginobili, Duncan, and Kawhi, and they'd still win and because he develops those guys and lets them get out there and play. So if LeBron was willing to sign a, do a sign-and-trade and go to San Antonio, I think Cleveland would do that because they'd get Kawhi if Kawhi would do a sign-and-trade also. Now they have Kawhi, so they have a backbone for their franchise, and you know, and they're, they're not losing a ton from LeBron. And I think San Antonio would do that because they know Kawhi doesn't want to be there, and you're getting LeBron James on a couple-year, three-year deal or something. So... I know that one's a little more out there because I think LeBron likes to take advantage of free agency and kind of play the field a little bit. But I think both teams would do it. And I think there's some other players in the league that I think they could have that same conversation with about different players. You know, some people have said Porzingis, and if you did that, you'd definitely have to trade either Gasol and Aldridge or one or the other. And then the other thing I think they can do is kind of do what Boston did Years a few years ago, and and start amassing assets and trade him for, you know, let's say they wanted to trade, and it doesn't even matter who because anyone would take him. I mean, why not skin the Nets like Boston did? You know, why not skin the Hornets? Why not skin anybody that that has a terrible team? Trade him for the teams of really bad teams first round pick for the next two or three years. Or their first pick, and you know, protected, whatever, who cares? But get a bunch of these picks, and then you trade Aldridge, and you trade him somewhere else, and you get another pick here and another pick there, and now you're building from the draft again, and now you have the opportunity to build like Boston did through the draft, get these young, talented players who have tiny contracts, and all of a sudden, in three or four years, you're a great team again. And I think Pop's a good enough coach that if he did lose those guys, they could still be relevant in the next couple of years while those young guys are developing and maybe, you know, do what he did this year and get into the playoffs in the first round and see what happens. So I personally think that would be the best way to do it is trade off for these picks and kind of start over without really starting over. And it's worked for Boston. And I think, and it just, and, and San Antonio has proven they do a good job in the draft. So I don't think it would be that hard to, you know, kind of start there and and take some chances on some picks. So that's kind of what I would think about doing with Kawhi. And the last thing I want to talk about, and I'll go into it more next podcast, but the draft is tomorrow night. And I'm not going to do a draft preview because it's a lot of fit in my my belief. 
you know, for instance, I don't know how well Aiton will fit in Phoenix if he gets picked number one. I think Phoenix does number one. I think they're trying to be young and fast and athletic, and maybe he can do that and maybe he can't. And I just, you know, saw some articles saying that he's David Robinson, and that's fine. But David Robinson didn't play in the switching era of basketball. And I am a Duke fan, so I've watched Duke, and I am uh, and I watched Arizona a lot this year. And their their highest Arizona's highest paid player, Aiden, DeAndre Aiden. Um and I was I just I think that Bagley's gonna be a better player. And I used to err on the side of big guys, but if you're gonna try to take down uh Golden State, and you're going to try to take down Houston, you're going to have to be able to guard Steph Curry and James Harden on the three-point line. And I don't know if Aiden can do that. And I know he can shoot at that little mid-ranger, and I know he's just a monster around the hoop. And so I think he'll be effective, but will he be good enough? And I think a lot of it is where you go. I mean, it's, it's nature versus nurture. It's so funny because one of my friends is buying a dog and, and has kids and we were having the nature versus nurture con- uh, conversation because they said that if you look online, it says that smaller dogs don't get along with kids well, and I, and and that and then that person said, well, well, I'm I'm good at you know I think I'm a, I'd be a good dog trainer because I already have a dog I have a small dog for the last 15 years so so anyway it's nature versus nurture in the NBA too I you know I I look like a dummy with Okafor a couple years ago thinking that he's going to be a Hall of Famer but I still believe in if he had been drafted by San Antonio or drafted in a in a veteran organization, that he could be that guy. But instead, he goes to these terrible teams that have no structure, that have no work ethic, and he's a guy that needed that. And he fell right into the traps, and he never worked on his game, and he's still overweight, and he's he's a bust. And I was completely wrong. But I think a large part of it is the nurture and he had no nurture and I think if he had been in pop system he could have been a monster play with Tim Duncan for one or two years learn how to play have Tim Duncan there at practice like he shows up still and helps out and David Robinson and show this guy the way to become a star and he could have been a star and he's not so some of these guys if you put them in these organizations that have no leadership and no veteran players and no structure and no work ethic and no championship pedigree, then they just slough off and, and it's it's hard. And there's of course there's guys that can do it because there's guys who just are workers. But if you don't have that mentality, then you can easily fall into those traps. Again, I would rather wait until I see where guys go before I kind of predict or talk about how I think the fit is. But anyway, if I had to choose between Bagley and Aiden, I would choose Bagley. Um, people are talking about how he's too small to be a big guy and he's too, you know, he's too, he doesn't shoot well enough to play on the perimeter. But I think they said the same thing about Blake Griffin. And that's maybe a little unfair because Blake Griffin is more of a power player than he is. But I think he has, he's so light on his feet. He moves so effortlessly and he's such a quick jumper. You know, Blake Griffin is more of a a hard jumper. Like he jumps and just destroys the rim and destroys you if you're in the way. Bagley just gets up there quick and gets it in there before you can even before you're even ready for it. And he's just he's bouncy and in a different way than Blake Griffin's bouncy. He's quick bouncy. And and he's fast and he's left-handed and that's always been tough for people to guard and I think he's going to be a really good player. 
and I don't I don't not think Aiton's going to be a good player, but I just think that that Bagley might end up being a little better. And then the only other guy I want to talk about is Trey Young, and I'm not sure about him. I would lean towards no, just because of how small he is. And you can go right to Chris Paul and, and Steph Curry, but, I mean, those guys... I mean, Steph Curry's, what, 6'3"? I mean, he's not that small, and he weighs over 200 pounds, whereas Trey Young weighs about 170 pounds. And I don't know. It'll be interesting, you know? It's gonna. I think it's gonna be pretty clear right away. You know, he's either gonna he's either gonna walk in and light it up, or he's gonna walk in and he's gonna be an eighth man on a coming off a bench. And it's gonna be exciting because little kids like Trey Young, just like they like Steph, and he probably has that ability to hit some threes. But will he be able to guard? Will he be able to switch and guard? You know, will he be able to take the physicality of the league? I don't know. So anyway. That's kind of it for uh, what's going on in basketball. So now I want to get to the analytics section. And if you haven't seen this rant by Dan D'Antoni, you should look it up. It's a couple minutes. And it's really interesting. A, a, a reporter asks him, says that, you know, the threes weren't getting in. Did you Going in, did you think about pounding the ball inside a little bit? And I'm going to read to you what he said, and then we'll kind of talk about it. Uh, and the D'Antonis are a little arrogant, and I don't think he was really trying to be a jerk because there's a portion, he, he does about half the rant and then there's a pause where he pauses and looks down and a, a reporter, I don't know if it's the same guy or not, asks a follow-up question and he kind of makes a little bit of a smart-ass comment to the guy saying, I haven't finished yet. And I watched it just to see if he was being arrogant and I don't think he, I think he was trying to be funny. I don't think he was being arrogant, but okay, I'll just read it and then we'll, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. So the guy asked him if he thinks that they should have gotten the ball inside because the threes weren't going in. And here's what he says. He says, you see those top three teams, Golden State, do they work it in? My brother in Houston, the biggest turnaround in the league, do they work it in? You can go, you can get any computer and run what the best shots are. And it will tell you the post up is the worst shot in basketball. If you want to run down and try to get it in there to shoot over somebody, then you're beating analytics. The best shot in basketball is the corner three. The next best shot in basketball is any other three. Other than free throws, which we try to do, when you get to the foul line, you score 1.5 points every time you go to the foul line in the pros. It trickles down. It's the same thing for college kids. Then he pauses, then the reporter starts asking another question, and he cuts the guy off and says, I haven't finished my damn analytics story yet. Do you have to go to bed or something because you're worn out? If you can if you can get a layup and it's clean, if you can get a layup, if you can get to a layup and it's clean, it's not one that's highly contested, it's 1.8 points per attempt. It's 1.3 from that corner, 1.27. I'm sorry. He says it's 1.3 from the corner then he then he clarifies 1.27. Do you know what a post up is with a guy standing over top of you? It's 0.78. So you you run your team down there, and we'll see how long you can stay with teams that can play the other way. You've seen it in the NBA. The last two championship, championships have been Cleveland and Golden State. What do they do? You don't see anybody post up. They just spread it out. They just spread that thing out and go. I changed a long time ago. I coached for 15 years like a dummy, running down there real hard so I can get it in there for the worst shot in basketball. I didn't even know what I was doing. 
The short version of my answer is no. So, sorry for my mistakes reading it. Uh, my internet, the internet is down right now, and uh, I had to like copy it off the uh, off my phone, and my handwriting is bad. So, sorry about that. So, he's talking about analytics and and how basketballs change from the three to the two, and we've been over this. But there's a couple things I want to I want to talk about in this, and. I think that there's there's some there's some good points in here and it's a cool rant. I thought it was a really cool rant when I heard it originally a couple years ago. But when you kind of think about it, it's not exactly relevant. So the first thing he does is talk about the top teams, Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, Cleveland, and all they do is shoot threes. Now, he's the coach of Marshall, which is a mid-major D1, I'm sure everyone knows that. And now you're comparing to the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA. And we've talked before, you have to work you have to make your offense around your players. And he doesn't have the best three-point shooting shooter the best three-point shooters in the world. And we all saw Marshall get to the the tournament this year and I think they won a game. They might have won two actually, I'm not sure. And and you can see that he's running that kind of system that his brother does, but again, you have to have the right personnel. And as a college coach, he can try to find the right personnel. So he says you can you can put it into the computer and the worst shot is the post-up. Now, in the in the video, he's talking about shooting over a guy with his hands up right in front of you. Okay, that's 0.78, which is a contested post shot. Now, I am a post coach and I do not want my players shooting with a guy standing right there with his hands up. To me, that's a bad shot. Okay, so... When he's talking about .78, he's talking about .78 points per possession on a terrible shot. To me, that doesn't that's not right. Because if he wants to continue with his comparison to the NBA, if you have Tim Duncan down there, Tim Duncan's not a .78. Tim Duncan's way higher than that. So, and Tim Duncan is probably not going to shoot. Tim Duncan actually did shoot some contested ones, but he actually learned how to kind of tuck his arm under and get those fouls. So the first thing, the first problem I have with it is that he's just talking about a contested shot. And I tell my post players, you make your move. If they take it away, maybe you make a counter move, a pivot through, a step through. If they take that away, you know what? Applaud them, kick it out, and, and we'll, we'll try it another time, you know, another possession. But you, don't, you shouldn't be shooting that shot because that's a bad shot. It's just like if you have a corner three, which is 1.3 per possession, but you have a guy all over you up in your face, there's no chance that's 1.3 points per possession. It's way lower because it's not a good shot because you have a guy all over you. So it's it's interesting because because he says those are the averages or whatever. If you look on, you know, if you look up analytics on the computer, but I don't think that's true because if you're able to have a post player who's effective and actually... Loyola Chicago this year had a really good post player, and he didn't have a he had a couple moves, but he 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 used his body really well, and he got down there, he got position, and there's a lot of other effects of having an effective post player beside besides your point seven eight points per possession. Number one, getting the other team in foul trouble. If you can. If you are effective and you can get to the free throw line, which is one point, yeah, let's 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 start there. If you get fouled, number one, you you take their other big guys and maybe get them where they can't play as well on the defensive end, maybe get them out of the game. 
And you say, well, big guys aren't important anyway, but they are because they, they're floor spacers, they're rebounders, they, they do things, obviously, or no one would ever have big guys. So you, you take those guys out of their game, and that's number one. Number two, you get to the free throw line, which is, as he stated, 1.5 points per possession, and those are free points. And, and I think another huge thing that people don't think about is when you have a post player who's down there banging, how much it wears on the opponent especially if your guy is bigger, and especially if he knows what he's doing. I have a friend, and I tell him this story all the time, and he loves to hear it. I'm 6'8", he's 6'11", he's a post player, I'm a, I'm a wing. and But we, whenever we used to play, he would all, I would always have, and I'm guarding him because I'd usually be the second tallest player behind him. And he was a true post player, and he had nice moves. He played small Division One college, and we would play pickup, and he would run down on me every single time, and he would just bang me. And then the, he wouldn't get the ball, and he's just reposting and reposting, and I'm fighting around, and it is exhausting. And then I'd come down, and I'd hit some threes, and you know, you do my perimeter game, and we were both, you know, pretty effective against each other because we had different games. We were hard to stop for the other one. But I'll tell you right now, by the end of, you know, a, a open gym session, an hour or an hour and a half or whatever, or games or whatever. He'd come running down, and I would dread him coming down because I know he's going to hit me again, and I know he's going to come after every offensive rebound, and it's just exhausting. And when you don't have that post player that's doing that, and when you do, you can really take another player out of their game because I know I was exhausted. And actually, I played in a men's league game this week. I wasn't even planning on talking about this. And it was like a championship of a champion, you know, like, it doesn't matter. We played this really young athletic team, and they had this 6'8 guy. And he's coming at me, and I'm probably 15 years older than him. And every time he gets the ball, he just takes it right at my chest. And I take it in the chest every time. I go straight up. He made a couple. He missed a couple. I thought I did a pretty good job for how good of a player he seemed to be. But it wore on me. And I mean, there was possessions where I was just kind of walking up to the offensive end because I was so tired because this guy is just in my chest every single possession. And it wore me down, for sure. There's no doubt about it. And I didn't shoot great. And that is an effect of having of having this post player down there. So, again, you want to talk about, you know, if you look at, let's, let's just take Houston, for example, where, uh, oh, darn it, I'm going to blank on his name now. Uh, Capella doesn't post up ever. So now you have these big guys on Golden State, like JaVale McGee, who who don't really get tired because there's no wear and tear on him. There's no exhaustion coming through because he doesn't lean on these guys. Whereas Shaq would just exhaust people. I mean, it was, you could just see it. They just didn't want anymore because he's just taking that 300 and putting it on you every single possession. And speaking of Shaq, I wonder what Dan D'Antoni would say about Shaq because Shaq was pretty darn effective. And I bet you that he was over point, 0.78 points per possession, points per attempt, excuse me, on the post. Because he was so big, he could get so deep that that skews those numbers. And I know he's an anomaly, and, and we're talking about the average. But we're not talking about the average because no one is exactly average. You're either above the average or below the average. And if you're below the average, of course, you probably shouldn't throw it into that guy. But if you have a guy who's above the average, then it's not 0.78, and those numbers are wrong. And he talks about if you can get a layup, it's worth it, it's 1.8, and that's true. But once again, if you have a post player 
who's engaging their post defender, sometimes he can't get off quick enough to get over there and help, and so that guy gets that layup. Maybe he's in foul trouble, so he's not on the bench, which helps your points per attempt for your guard taking to the hoop because you don't have that shot blocker in there. That's not only blocking shots, but affecting shots and affecting the arc on shots. Or you have this drive for a little dump off when the big guy steps over because you have your big guy right there on the block. So their big guy comes over to stop the layup. He tosses it up. It's a little, it's a dunk. You see everybody doing that. I mean, just a little lob, the little lob right there. So that's another reason to have, and that's another reason to have a dominant big guy in there who's, who's down there. And then the last thing is like, he's comparing everything to the NBA. He talks about how the corner three is the best shot in basketball. Well, the reason it's the best shot in basketball, it's, it's the best shot in the NBA, is because it's a shorter three-pointer. At the college level, the, the three-point line is the same length all the way around. So it's actually the worst of the three-point shots in the college game because you don't have the backboard. That's why in the rant he says, well, if you look online, the corners are the, are the number one and, and number two positions and then the top of the key okay, outside underneath the basket. So underneath the basket is number one and number two, the left and the right side. And then the corners are next, and then the top of the key. And the reason the top of the key is behind the corners is because it's further away. And that's just math. So in the college level, that doesn't really apply. So he's, he's in his rant, he's talking about NBA when he's not an NBA coach. And so it doesn't, it doesn't translate. So he needs to be saying, okay, the three-point line at the top of the key is the most effective. And that's, that'd be fine if he said that. But again, he's talking about – this entire rant is talking about the NBA – and the thing is, I know he's at a small D1, but why doesn't every team in the in college just run and gun and shoot threes? Because if that's the way to win, then every single team should be doing that. And I think the reason is, and, why, and, and, and going along from that, why is power and strength so important in, the, in, in basketball now? You know, it's because that's not true. Because the strongest players win. The strongest players can get to the rim. The strongest players can stop you from getting to the rim. Strength is such a huge part of basketball now that that's what the big schools do to the little schools. If you watch in the first round of the tournament when the big schools play the little schools, yeah, they shoot some threes, but they get it down in there and they turn, they dunk on you, and they attack the offensive glass, and they bully you, and they just use their size and strength, their superior size and strength, to just wear you down. And... Yes, there's the occasional team like Marshall who comes out and hits some threes and can win a game and maybe win a couple games, but at the end of the day, they're not going to get there because it's not and I'm not saying not I'm not saying that shooting threes is the wrong way to play because I like it. I do it, my team does it, but what I'm saying is it's not the only way to play and and saying that post play is irrelevant or it's the worst shot in basketball is kind of ridiculous. And I'm not saying that as a post coach because I love three pointers. Me personally, I shoot the threes. You know, I'm I'm getting up there in age, so I don't I don't really it's not important for me to go down there and bang in the post anymore, so it's you know, three pointers will help my body stay fresher for a couple more years hopefully. So it's not that at all. It's it's just kind of generalizing a statement and that I don't think is necessarily right all the time. When I heard this, I was thinking to myself, why doesn't every single team just run and gun and shoot threes in the college? And we've talked about it before. It's not everyone can shoot the ball that well. And if you can't shoot, then it's not the best way to play. And 
he is clearly recruiting players that can shoot and 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 trying to play that way. So we'll see. And if you know, and it would be it would be much more interesting to me if he was at a Power Five conference team like a Wake Forest or a, oh I don't know. I'll just pick a random team in uh, Washington State or a Northwestern, you know, where you're at a mid, where you're in a where you're in a big conference, so you can get the highest level recruits, and then you bring in that style and see if it can win. And it's been successful for D'Antoni, but he hasn't won a championship yet. And I'm talking about Mike D'Antoni, and it was really effective when he had a great roster to do it with Phoenix. But again, they didn't win a championship, and they lost to a post-up team in in San Antonio, and they lost to a post-up team in the Lakers when the Lakers had Shaq and Kobe, and when when San Antonio had Duncan. So it's it's a fun way to play, but you need the right personnel. And don't forget when Mike D'Antoni went to the Knicks and tried to do it, and when he went to the Lakers and tried to do it, and he didn't have the personnel, and he got ran out of town real quick. So it takes the right personnel, it takes elite shooters, it takes a certain way to play, and you have to have that, or it's not going to be super effective for you. So I think you guys should re- watch this little rant and then think about it for yourself. And 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 I I've I've said it before, and don't just decide to run and gun because that's what everybody's doing now. Because Steph Curry does it. Because if you don't have the if you don't have the horses to shoot those threes. And that's what happened in the first couple of years in in Houston. You know, he didn't have the guys. He still doesn't. If he had a couple more shooters, they might be able to pull this thing off. But you got to have the guys. And is PJ Tucker? PJ Tucker can shoot a thousand threes a day. But if but is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be a, a guy that can play this run and gun style? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they got to bring in some other guys who who are a little bit more knockdown three point shooters. But then you're losing the defensive stuff. And when you want to win in the NBA, you got to win with defense, in my opinion. So it's it's really an interesting conversation. It's a really interesting topic because you, whenever you get those shooters, you're giving something up, and whenever you're giving something up, you're you know you you hopefully have something. For instance, and this will be the last part on this. Ryan Anderson. They brought in Ryan Anderson, and everyone was all oh, this is perfect. You know, he's a he's a big guy who who can shoot the three, spread the floor, make it hard on the tough guys, on the big guys on the other team. He'd even play. And the reason he didn't play is because he can't defend. And when you get to the playoffs, when it becomes less of a run-and-gun game, you got to be able to defend. And P.J. Tucker, who's a worse three-point shooter and a way better defender, took all of his minutes. And he took a lot of them during the season, too, because he can't defend anybody. And you want to talk about running and gunning and shooting threes, you would think Ryan Anderson at a 6'10 four-man would be perfect for that. But he wasn't. And he literally, and he slowly got phased out of the out of the lineup. So... It's really interesting to think about because it's not just as cut and dried as find three-point shooters and you'll be fine. So anyway, I went a little long there. Sorry about that. Um, we'll go a little shorter with the strategy session today, but we're going to talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is um, coming off kind of like a rub off the guy having the ball. And I do this all the time, and I'll t- <laughs> if I'm playing – and I have a guy who's willing to do it. I'll I'll tell him. It's I always joke. I'll say I'm going to make you a star today, because if you're willing to throw me the ball at the free throw line and use my body to cut off me, then I'm going to get you a wide open shot every single time. 
and I know that I'm a, I'm a pretty effective passer, and I know how to use my body, I know how to play, and I can shoot, so my defender must stay close to me. So I know that's an advantage, but we've coached it with teams, and, it, and it's great. So what I'm talking about is, and, and I'm just going to give you a simple version of it. Let's say you had a 1-4, so you have two guards up high, you have two wings about free throw line extended, maybe a little bit higher, and then you have a post player at the high post. And what you want to do, and this isn't an offense, this is, and this isn't even just a, this isn't even a play. This is just how, in, in some scenario, where this can work. And sometimes it works even with guys down in the post on the opposite side because it's such a quick little play. So it's, I'm just using an example. Uh, so then you throw the ball into the high post with, at the free throw line with, with your guy, which would be me in this, in, in this little example. And you have this guard... It doesn't matter who, but usually one of them that's one of the two up top, not one of those wings, that cuts right off of my body. It's much easier if it's the guy, if he has a good angle. So what you don't want is to be, is the guy to be able to get between you, between me and my teammate. So he passes me the ball and he just jogs right towards me and it's very slowly and then you're just reading the defender at every second of it. And whatever the defender chooses, he loses. And the only way to defend this and I, is to stay body to body. Now, if he stays body to body, then, then what that guy needs to do is just rub very tightly off me and use me as a screen. And when he does that, then he just keeps on going to the hoop. And now I've slowed that guy down. And even if I've slowed that guy down just for one step, now he has that step for a layup. And what will happen a lot of times is the guy guarding me will back off a step and I'll look at my guy cutting through and then I'll look at the basket like I'm not going to pass it to him. And he'll, t- he'll wait there for one second till he thinks that it's too late for me to make the pass. And then he'll step back to me so I don't shoot it and then I'll just toss it over his head and we'll get a layup every time. So the reason why this is so effective is because no matter which side the defender guards my guard he can use me to rub off, to rub that guy into a layup. So let's say that let's say that I'm so picture yourself, which is me, at the free throw line facing the other basket. Okay, I've just received the ball, and my guard that's going to be using this move is at the three point line to my left. Okay, so I'm looking up the court. He's to my left. He threw me the ball. Now his guard, his defender. If his defender goes to help side, like jumps to me, it's really over. The, the most effective way to guard it is to stay body-to-body body with his guy if he knows that this is coming. Just because my guy can now get a good running start at him. So if he jumps off, now I'm almost always using it as a screen across. right? He's going to come to my right side. So he's going to be starting on my left as I'm looking the other direction away from my basket because my back's to my own basket. He's going to run off me to my left. I mean, excuse me. He's going to run from my left to my right. And that guy, as he gets closer to me, is probably going to get closer to him. And I might pivot just to get in his way a little more. Maybe not. And he just jogs really slowly. One of the great things about it is if you jog slowly, just like you're cutting through. Because a lot of teams do that. They'll, they'll have a guard enter a ball somewhere, and then they'll just have him cut through. And then as soon as he gets past my body, or even another step past there, because sometimes my, my, my defender, as I said, might drop off a little bit. Then he goes. 
And I just a little toss over my guy's head, and it's a layup, and there's nobody under there. And sometimes it's a bounce pass too, but I think a bounce pass is a little tougher because you can get hands in there, and I guess at my height, it's probably easier for me too. So let's pretend now, let's go back to our scenario. I'm my back's to my own basket. I'm facing the other way. My guard is on the left side, left to me up at the three-point line. He's throwing me the ball. And let's say he his defender stays body-to-body with him after he throws me the ball. So now what does he do? He runs right to basically on top of me almost, like he's going to go off my right side like he just did. And now he's really got this guy in a pickle because now he can go either way, right? If he just grabs his guy and holds and gives him a little little tug either way, he can go off my body and use me as a screen and do the same thing. And if his guy is kind of leaning one way, let's say he's leaning to not let him go on the near side. Well, the, I mean, sorry, on the far side to my right. Then he just runs a little past my body, just to about just cutting me in half, just to the, my right side of my body, and then he breaks back the other way and uses me as a screen, and it's over. And sometimes you don't even have to. Sometimes you just jog a guy through, and his defender just switches off. And this is this probably happens the most. Is the def, you know you see your guy jogging through slowly, and your defender just switches off because he figures he's not doing anything, and I'll just toss the ball. And sometimes the guy's not even wanting the ball or or making a cut he's just jogging through and I'll just put the ball in his hands because he's got a step on his guy and and that's the way it works so another way to guard it is to go under and then it's easy it's just a pop behind so he runs off me his guy has jumped off right so so another way to counter it besides going body to body is to jump off and wait underneath me and meet him on whichever side and that could effectively take it away. Well, that's why you need to have this guy be a good three-point shooter. So now he runs at me, and if the guy has gone under me on either side, then he just pops to the other side, and now he's got my screen. He's probably got the defender in his way, and now he's got to make up five or six feet when I just toss it right back to this guy, and it's a wide-open three. So it's really hard to guard, and there's way more stuff you can do. You know, you can sometimes even have him come inside you and set the, set an inside screen, which is just an amazing play, where you just have him run down, and then he'll turn back up. And even though you still have the ball, it's basically a pick and roll from the free throw line, and now you're going downhill on a guard. And there's a ton of things you can do. But if you, but the most important thing is you need a big guy who can pass the ball and 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 is a good enough shooter from the free throw line that they have to respect it. And it just opens up the whole world. It's so much fun. I love it. When you, when you have guys that are willing cutters, I mean, because sometimes that guy cuts through, he's not open, and I'll just hold the ball. And I know I'm playing pickup and I'm talking about it, but we've done this at different colleges I've coached at. You know, I can remember one guy who was a really good passer, and we got one every single game. Our guard wasn't even a set play. Our guard would just run right next to him, nice and slow, and then make a little break. He tossed it over every single game we got it. But what I'm saying is if I'm in a pickup game and I have willing cutters, the first guy I'll cut in and kind of sometimes they're looking for it because we've done it to them before and so we'll just let that guy cut through and i'll just wait and i'll just hey come off me i'll just say hey come off me and even if they come from a almost a lateral angle it's almost like a dribble handoff without the dribble he's coming across if the guy doesn't want to go body to body with him and drops off then he'll just pop behind for a wide open three and if he does then i just 
kind of pivot or I'll just even just stand there. And if he curls properly off my body, he's going to have that one step on his defender and I can hit him in stride every time for a layup. The Lakers used to do that a lot. I might've been with Phil actually in the triangle. I remember they would have Lamar Odom up there and, and he was a good passer and they would throw it to him and guys would cut off him. And Gasol does it a lot. Uh, Gasol is really good. Gasol and Con- Conley used to do it all the time. Uh, Mark Gasol, I, I'm referring to, by the way, uh, where you know he's a really good passer and he can hit those little pocket passes when guys would cut off of his body. So a lot of teams do it. I really like it. I think I think it's good at all levels because the natural instinct is to, especially in this day and age, if you have a good shooter, to trail, which means it'll be open. And second of all, defenders just naturally just you know, shut down a little bit or disengage when they're, when they think the guard is cutting through. And that's when you just take that little break step and you've got to lay up. So hopefully that's something that can help you guys and you guys can experiment and throw out there. And, and, and I think if you're a coach and you don't really use that, try it yourself. If you're a pretty good passer, you know, just get to the high post sometime and just, Hey, cut off me. And then as soon as the guy cuts off, you just kind of pivot and look for him on that little back on that little over the top pass. And, and once you see that, you'll start thinking, Oh man, I could do this with that. Oh man, I could do this with that. Oh, I have this pop behind I can do. And you just start getting excited. And that's what happened to me a long time ago. I would just get excited when I think about guys, you know, these rub screens and stuff. Okay. I think we're done for today. So, uh, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. 